Hey, this is Pastor Michael Petit from Calvary Chapel, Divine, Texas. Would really like to thank you for taking time to check out our podcast, our Sunday sermons, and our Wednesday night Bible studies. You can always share this, download it, or even find it on Spotify, Google Podcast, Apple Podcast, SoundCloud, and pretty much wherever you can find a podcast. We would love for you to come and visit us. We're located at the VFW 3966, 211 West College Avenue in Divine, Texas. If you join us on Sunday, our service times are at 10 a.m. as we go through the New Testament and on Wednesdays at 6.30 p.m. as we go through the Old Testament. Children's ministry is available for both services. If you'd like to get more information about the church, you can go to calvarydivine.org. Again, that's calvarydivine.org. Here's today's teaching. So I entitled this, Let the Children Come to Me. Let the Children Come to Me. And this actually is in... um, We'll look at it in three parts. The children and parents rebuked in verse 13. Uh, Children should come to Jesus in verse 14. And children of God we are to be in verses 15 and 16. So when we come back that Sunday, that's what we'll deal with is children of God we are to be. And we'll actually talk about that. Um, today we're going to deal with children, and it's, it's amazing that we're dealing with children right after we deal with marriage. I love the way that Mark sets this up, and this is also in all of the synoptic gospels, this story. One of the things that we, we need to talk about is that in, in chapter 10, there are a, a number of paradoxes that are in uh, this chapter. And, and a lot of you are probably thinking, man, I, I didn't do well in English because I didn't either. What is a paradox, right? And so what is a paradox? A paradox is a statement that seems to contradict itself but expresses a valued truth. So let me give you an example of one, and then you'll understand it. Because I had to reread this myself. I was like, man, do I remember what a paradox is? Uh, 2 Corinthians chapter 12, verse 10, it says, For when I am weak, then I am strong. That's a paradox. When I am weak then I am strong. We are strong because of Jesus Christ. Have you ever had a situation where you're you're dealing with something? Uh, My mom is is having to be going through some tests here over the next few weeks, and and she lives all the way in South Carolina. Ain't much I can do. And I feel weak. But I'm strong because of Jesus Christ. I can go on my knees and pray for her. You see what I'm saying? It, it, it's, it's a reminder that even though I am weak and in my weakness, that's when, I'm, that's when God needs me, is at my weakest point. Because then I can be used. I'm humble. I'm, I'm not prideful. Um, it, it is also the, to realize that, that God is strong. In my weakness, I seek Christ. Right? And that should be how it is for us. So in, in the paradox, there are five paradoxes in this chapter. We went over one last week. The two shall become one flesh. That was one of the paradoxes as it talks about marriage. Then we'll see this week as, as the adults should be as children in verses 13 through 16. And then in, uh, we'll deal with possessions the following week after that. First shall be last. And then servants shall be rulers in verses 32 through 45, which deals with service. And then the poor become rich in verses 45 through 52 when it talks about faith. Now, as we deal with chapter 10, this is like a master class from Jesus. 
for all of us to learn today. He's, he's got some very important points for us to learn. So let's dive into the first one here. As children and parents re, are rebuked in verse 13. And it says, And they were bringing children to him that he might touch them. So Jesus is, is, is teaching in there with the disciples. And the parents begin to bring their children to Jesus. And last week as we looked at biblical marriage, we talked about uh, that and this week we deal with children, which is an awesome thing to talk about. And um, one of the things that we do understand is that as Jesus is talking about children in this context, it's actually babies that are being brought. Could be those that are barely walking, right? And they stumble around everywhere. It's always funny whenever you see a child when they're first trying to, to get going. That's how we are when we're first walking with the Lord. We're trying to figure things out, right? And, and so this week what we see is we, we see that in the Jewish culture, it was very important for them to bring their kids to the rabbi to be blessed. It was something that was part of their tradition and, and their culture. And so one of the things that I, I love is that we see it as the Jewish culture had is they saw their kids as treasure. Now, unfortunately, they saw the boys as treasure because they wanted to carry the names on. They didn't really see the girls as treasure. They were kind of second-class citizens. And, but Jesus receives all of them. In Psalm 127, verses 3 and 5, it says, Behold, children are a heritage from the Lord, the fruit of the womb, a, re a reward, like arrows in the hand of a warrior, are the children of one's youth. Blessed is the man who fills his quiver with them, he shall not be put to shame when he speaks with his enemies in the gate. And so our children are to be a heritage. Our children are to be salt and light. We're supposed to, they're, they're sponges. Anyone who's been around, because I can say something, my grandchild will say it immediately right after me. And so they, they repeat us, they watch us, they're, they're mimicking us. In Psalm 128 verses uh, 3 and 6 it says, Your wife will be like a fruitful vine. Uh, with, within your house, your children will be like an olive shoot around your table. Behold, thus shall the man uh, be blessed who fears the Lord. The Lord blesses you from Zion. May, may you see the prosperity of Jerusalem all the days of your life. May you see uh, your children's children peace upon Israel. I love that because it talks about that fruitful vine. And your children being like olive shoots. And it just reminds me of the verse in John where it says, Apart from me you can do nothing. Where you're not connected to the vine. And it's the same thing with our kids. We need to make sure that they're connected and grafted to the vine of Jesus Christ. And in that culture, they would bless the infants in Luke chapter 18 verse 15. It says, Now they were bringing infants to him that he might touch them. And when the disciples saw it, they rebuked them. It's the same verse in the Synoptic Gospel. I want you to think about this for a second. What is your first memory of Jesus? What is your first memory of Jesus? How far back does that go? I, I can remember the first time that being in the Baptist church in, in Mount Pleasant, South Carolina. And sitting there, I can even tell you where my table was and where the playground was. 
And I don't know how I know the song, Jesus Loves Me, but I remember the song. That's my first memory of Christ. And unfortunately, we talked about divorce, and that was the last memory I have of, of really being in a church. We, we attended a Catholic church, but we only did it twice a year, if that. And so our, our memory of, of Jesus, our, our time uh, with Jesus is important, but it's, it's also to, to remember that our children have that as well. In Matthew 19, 13, it says, Then the children were brought to him that he may lay hands on them and pray. So we know that it wasn't just children that were brought, but it was infants, but he was going to lay hands on them and pray for them. That's what Jesus was going to do. Same as the, the rabbis would do in Luke chapter 2, verse 22. If you remember, it says, And when the time came for the, uh, their purification according to the laws of Moses, they brought him up to Jerusalem to, be, to present him to the Lord, which was Jesus. Here's presented to the rabbi. So, one of the things that we do, which is important for us to remember, is that we do not do... Uh, baptisms for babies and you may go why we do baby dedications uh, baptism is an inward sign of an outward change meaning that that person knows that they've given their life to the lord they've given their heart to the god uh, to christ and they've repented of their sins and then they're baptized uh, baptism as a baby you have no say so in that it's a wonderful thing right to be baptized as a child. I mean, that's awesome that, that your parents would take you to be baptized as a kid. They're, they're wanting you to be involved with God at that, at that age. But one of the things that we do here is we do what we call baby dedications. So Hannah actually dedicated her child uh, to the Lord in 1 Samuel chapter 1, verse 26 to 28. And it says, And she said, O oh, my Lord, as you live, my Lord, I am the woman who was standing here in your presence. Praying to the Lord for this child, I prayed, and the Lord has granted me my petition that I made to him. Therefore, I have lent to him, to the Lord, as long as he lives, he is lent to the Lord, and he, he worshiped the Lord there. And so what we do is we simply pray over the child. Same way that Jesus is, they're bringing children to Jesus to pray over them, to bless them. You know, as we read this, one of the things we have to ask ourselves is, do we bring our children to Jesus? There's, there's something in this that we need to remember is, is that's our responsibility. And I'm going to, you know, one of the things that we do need to remember as fathers, you are the spiritual leaders of the homes. We call you the pastors of the home. You're supposed to be leading your, your family in Christ. Your wife, your kids. And you go, well, I don't have any kids anymore. Your grandkids. Right? It's such an essential part of, of, uh, of our, our spiritual leadership that we're called to do that we're supposed to take responsibility in our well-being and our spiritual growth of our children. But so many, so many dads in the church are neglecting it. The other side of this coin is that we have fathers that are absent i spoke to a young man last week at the park he hasn't known his dad 35 years he's never met his father one time that's sad 
But you know what? We're supposed to be as brothers and sisters in Christ. I have people in my life that are like grandfathers and grandmothers to me. That are like fathers, older brothers, younger brothers. We're supposed to fill that gap as a church. You know, we see so many people, uh, uh, you know, single moms trying to raise kids. There's nothing wrong with that. I mean, uh, we know that Timothy was raised by his grandmother and his mother, and he was brought up in the Lord. And, and so we are to teach them diligently. I love that verse in Deuteronomy chapter 6, verses 5 through 9. It says, You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your might, and these words that I command you today shall be on your heart. You shall teach them diligently to your children and shall talk of them when you sit in your house and when you walk by the way and when you lie down and when you rise. You shall bind them as a sign on your hand and they shall be, on, uh, they shall be as frontlets between your eyes. You shall write them on the doorpost of your house and on your gates. Teach them diligently. And as fathers, one of the things we have to teach them is that our kids are not perfect. They, we know that, right? But we have to extend grace and mercy and love and teach them about sin. And what are they supposed to do? Whether they're supposed to repent and how do they get right with God? You know, all these things should be taught in the house. There's a, a foundation that should be taught in the house. It's, that's why, you know, even, even as we, we teach church here, uh, Teresa and them spend a, quite a bit of time on their study as they prepare for the kids. The kids do not just go in there to color. They're, they're in the book of Revelation. Yeah. Think about that. The kids are in the book of Revelation. On Wednesday night in Isaiah, they're learning the Word of God. Why? Because they can. They're like sponges. You need to set the foundation now. You need to bring your kids to Jesus. As, as a church, that's what we do. We want to teach them the Word. We want them to understand and respect God's Word and try to be obedient to, the, uh, to, to God's commandments. At the same time, to understand what grace is. God's people, one of the things we should do is, is live that out in our homes and bear witness to that. We think about why a foundation is important. Think about some people in the Bible that we know their foundation was important. Look at King David. David was a shepherd boy when he was anointed uh, to be the king of Israel, the future king of Israel. He was a young man in the youth when he faced Goliath. He was a teenager. He was a teenager. In 1 Samuel chapter 17, verses 24 through 37, it says, All the men of Israel, when they saw the man f uh, fled from him and were much afraid. And the men of Israel said, Have you seen this man who has come up? Surely he has come up to defy Israel, and the kings will enrich the man who kills, uh, kills him with great riches and will give him his daughter and make his father's house free in Israel. 
And David said uh, to the men who stood by them, What shall be done for the man who kills the Philistine and takes away the reproach from Israel? For who is this uncircumcised Philistine that he should defy the armies of the living God? Now you may hear that and you go, Man, he's a youth. He's ex like he's excited. He's on fire. But he's been brought up in the Lord. He should be. He's ready to go to war and these men are not. It says in verse 28, Now Eliab, his brother, uh, heard when he spoke to the men and Eliab's anger was kindled against David. And he said, Why have you come down here? And with whom have you left those few sheep in the wilderness? I know your presumption and the evil on your heart, uh, evil of your heart, for you have come down to see the battle. David has more belief than his brother. And he's a teenager. And David said, what, what have I done now? What is it not but a word? He turned away from him towards another, and he spoke in the same way, and the people answered him again, and as before, when the words that David spoke were heard, they repeated them before Saul. And he said for him, so now the king hears. And David said to Saul, let no man's heart fail because of him. Your servant will go and fight with the Philistine. And Saul said to David, you are not able to go against this Philistine to fight with him, for you are but a youth. And, he's, and he has been a man of war for, from his youth. See, what we're, we're not picturing is you have a man of war from his youth who's from the culture, who's from the world. And you have a man who's a youth, a young child, who's been brought up knowing God and has faith and is willing to step out and face this giant. And what are the adults doing? They're trying to, to quench the Holy Spirit, to quench the fire of that, of that faith because of their fear. And, and so for us, we see that, I love this, because David says to Saul, your, your servant used to keep sheep for his father. And when, they came, uh, when it came a lion or a bear and took a lamb for the flock, I went after him. And I struck him and delivered it out of his mouth. And if he rose against me, I caught him by his beard and struck him and, and killed him. Your servant has struck down both lions and bears, and this uncircumcised Philistine shall be like one of them. For he has defied the armies of the living God. And David said, The Lord who delivered me from the paw of the lion and from the paw of the bear will deliver me from the hand of this Philistine. And Saul said to David, Go, and the Lord be with you. David has purity in his faith. That is what a child and a youth have. There's a purity. It should excite us as adults. Instead, what do we do? Get out of here. Right? They should be right alongside of a servant. Teaching them. He was zealous. Because he had a personal relationship with God. He was full of courage where the men were full of fear. These are grown men who have fought in battles. And they're fearful. Then you have the three young boys, and 
And the king of, uh, uh, when the king of Babylon threatened to throw them into the fiery furnace, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, they refused to do what the king said as well. And they were, they were but in their youth as well. You have Mary, the mother of Jesus, who herself was a teenage girl who gave birth to the Savior. And what does she say in Luke chapter 1, verse 38? And Mary said, Behold, I am a servant of the Lord. Let it be to me according to your word. She humbly, humbly did the will of God. It's an example to all of us that even the youth will outshine us at times. And we should not try to squelch that or throw water on the fire. But have them come alongside you and teach them. And we are to instruct our, our children. Second Timothy 3.15 says, And how from childhood you have been acquainted with the sacred writings, which you are able to make uh, you wise for salvation through faith in Jesus, through uh, faith in Christ Jesus. That's the Apostle Paul telling Timothy, how from childhood you have been acquainted with the sacred writings. How are your children doing with the Word of God? Ephesians chapter 6, verse 4 says, Fathers, do not provoke your children to anger, but bring them up in the discipline and instruction of the Lord. We have a responsibility as fathers, as parents, to bring our children up knowing Christ. It's, it's what we've been called to do. It says, And as they were bringing the children, back in verse 13, to him that he might touch them, and the disciples rebuked them. Now, you need to get this picture in your head. It's not the disciples rebuking the parents. The disciples are shooing the children away from Christ. And who's watching? The crowd. The crowd's watching. They're, they're, they're you know, unkind as they do this. And, and it just, again, this is just a pattern for the disciples. They just continue to rebuke and push people away from Jesus. In Luke chapter 9, verses 49 and 50, it says, John answered, Master, we saw them casting out demons in, the, in your name, and we tried to stop them because he does not follow with us. But Jesus said to them, to him, Do not stop him, for the one who is not against us, against you, is for you. And again, back in, in Matthew chapter 15, verse 22 and 23, it says, And behold, a Canaanite woman from that region came out and was crying, Have mercy on me, O Lord, son of David. My daughter is severely oppressed by a demon. But his disciples did not answer her a word. And the disciples came and begged him, saying, Send her away from crying after us. Stop her from crying. Get the kids away from us. They're rebuking the children. They're rebuking the lady that needed help with her daughter. They're rebuking someone else who was doing the work of the Lord. They're rebuking them. This is a pattern for the disciples. For us, one of the things I remember is evangelist Luis Palau, when he was in uh, Bolivia, he was actually uh, waiting to speak to the Bolivian president. And as he's waiting to speak to the Bolivian president, one of his team members brings a little girl 
in the middle of the press conference to come meet Luis Palau. And in his head, he didn't say it out loud, but in his head and in his heart, he was like, what in the world is, what are they doing? We're in the middle of a press conference. So he gets up, walks over to her, says hi to her, signs the book, and gives it to her and said, God bless you, little girl. And she goes to walk away. And when she goes to walk away, she goes, I wanted to receive Christ in my heart. And Luis Palau said this verse, he was no different than the disciples. He didn't say it out loud, but it was in his heart to move her away. And he told the press, I'm going to have ask you all to go ahead and go, and we'll, we'll meet up later and talk. And he sat down with the little girl, and she received Christ. Later that afternoon, the Bolivian president received Christ too. Which one's important? They both are. They both are. You see what I'm saying? You see how we are with kids? They both are. When those kids come in, ask them, what did you do today in class? What did you learn? Look at their pictures that they draw. Look at the stuff that they do. Engage them. That's what we're supposed to do as a church. And, and, and so for us, we can't be so busy that we're missing the children, the next generation in the church. Our next point is children come, uh, should come to Jesus in verse 14. It says, but when Jesus saw it, he was indignant and said to them, let the children come to me. Do not hinder them, for such belongs the kingdom of God. And that word is indignant is Jesus has a righteous anger right now. But that word actually means to be, uh, to be greatly afflicted, to be sore, to be displeased, to be moved within. He's upset. He's upset with the disciples. Because what is his heart in John 3, 16? For God so loved the world that he gave his only son, that whoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life. For God so loved the world, including the kids and the babies and the youth. As a culture, we, we kind of, you know, dis disassociate with them or we'll always I've always heard this I, I was teaching a class one time in a grace group and it was just like this every church should be multi-generational multi-racial there shouldn't be a white church or a Hispanic church or a black church there shouldn't be just kids in the church or youth in the church or grandparents in the church it should be everything everything and we were in a class just like this, and we had youth in the class, and we had some, some older people, and, and we're talking, talking about sharing the gospel, talking about this generation and how we can reach this generation. And one of the ladies, sure enough, said, this is the worst generation I've ever seen. That was the last week those two youth came to my class. They discouraged them like that. And I said, I interrupted her. I said, you know what? I'm going to stop you right there. Because my father said that about my generation. And I believe his father said that about his generation. 
We don't do that. Don't discourage them. The stuff that they go through, y'all have no idea. The stress, the anxiety, the depression, the stuff that's happening with these kids, y'all don't have a clue. We, we've been begging, begging to get into the city of San Antonio. That door opened wide this past week. Matt went over by Rainbow Hills. We're, we're planning on doing ministry there. We'll, we'll do it all day long. You know what that, the director said? Our, our facilities are open to y'all. Whatever y'all need. Because why? They're seeing the stress and the anxiety and the suicidal thoughts and the things that these kids are dealing with and the youth are dealing with. And they're looking for answers too. And the answer is Jesus. So we should get indignant too when somebody pushes away our youth and our children because they're the next generation of the church. Don't get me wrong. We were just talking about this yesterday on our way home. How important it is as, as having grandparents, senior parents, like 70, 80 years old in the church, how important that is as well as having our age and then the, the younger generation and then the younger generation. We all, God uses all of that, all that wisdom. But we should get indignant with the way things are in the world today with children. Do you realize that even with the pandemic, they still killed 886,000 babies? They aborted them? Still. You couldn't get a surgery. But they can abort a baby. That should get you angry. 2.2 billion children are in the world today. 1 billion live in poverty. 40% of kids go to bed without a father in their home in America. 40% with no dad. And 1.7 million, and this probably has changed now, will have a parent in prison this Christmas. That's a lot to, you know, there should be things as, as a church we should be, <laughs> just like Jesus, we should be indignant of too with what's happening to our kids. Jesus says, let the children come to me. Do not hinder them for such, uh, for to such belongs the kingdom of God. And in Matthew chapter 11, verse 25, it says, And at that time Jesus declared, I thank you, Father, Lord of heaven and earth, that you have hidden these things from the wise and understanding and revealed them to little children. Man, let me tell you something. You ever want to see a child worship? Go to VBS, Vacation Bible School. They worship. We mumble when we sing. Them little kids, you start doing that B-I-B-L-B-L-E, I always mess it up. And you put that on and you watch those kids singing and dancing to the Lord. And, and I, we've been involved in, I don't know how many vacation Bible schools at Grace, probably over 10 years. 
We've done them every year. And, and we, we probably won't have one in this church, but we'll have it at Grace. We'll participate and help them. And we'll take our kids, whoever wants to go, and let them go. And let me tell you something. Those kids, they worship God. It should put you to shame. I do sound, usually. And I sit in the back, and I watch them. And they come in at, when we do it in the morning, they come in at 7.30 in the morning, and they are just as excited at 7.30 as they are when they leave at 12 p.m. And they worship God. And a lot of those kids give their life to the Lord. Why is that important? One, a vacation Bible school is an outreach. It's a way for us to reach out to the community and bring people in. This is very important. A study shows that 90% or more who trust Jesus Christ as their Savior do so before age 20. They do it before age 20. The church needs to start putting more emphasis on evangelism to the kids and to the youth. That's what this event is for. It's not for us old people. I mean, I'm going to enjoy the music. I love it. But it's for the youth. It's for the kids. And it's for them to come to receive Jesus. And man, maybe a parent will too. Because let me tell you something. Our, our son Matthew, man, he came to no faith at BBS. And that boy, if the doors would have been open in that church, that boy would have been at church every day, seven days a week. He loved it. And me and Teresa, we were still going through Christian counseling for our marriage. And we were trying to figure out, man, why is he so excited? And we're still struggling. Like he's, he's like David. You need me to kill a giant? Let's kill a giant. That's how his faith was. And, and at the end of the day, we were like, wow. And we started getting involved in VBS and we began to understand. And we began to understand that our faith was not like his. And that's why Jesus tells you you need to be like a child. And we'll get into that as we, we talk about discipleship. But we need to remember, I, I love what Charles Spurgeon says. Charles Spurgeon says that we should be less inclined to doubt child's profession of faith than in adults because the child is less prone to hypocrisy. And he is less likely to have borrowed his words and phrases that should not, shouldn't make us stop trying to win adults to Christ, but it should encourage us to reach more children. There's a purity to them when they come to know faith. There's a purity there. The other thing we have to ask ourselves, are, are you hindering someone? Are you hindering your child? Because he says, do not hinder them, for such belongs the kingdom of God. Are you hindering your children from Christ? By your walk. Because you don't live it out at home. Or maybe you hinder your child. I hindered that boy over there. He came to know he's not a kid no more. He came to know the Lord before I did. 17? 16, 17. On fire for God. And you know what? It's like I poured a bucket of water on his, on his faith. 
and, and put the fire out. He even threatened this pastor when he came to my house. Physically. Yeah. I hindered my child from Jesus. Are you doing the same? Now you may go, well, I'm not, not at that extreme. But are you hindering them? Are you spending time with them in the Word? Remember we talked about this last week when we talked about your spiritual intimacy and your, your communication. And it all comes down to you spending time with God. And if you're spending time with God, what do you think your kids need? What are they watching? What are, what are, what are they spending time doing? And, and so as parents, that's one of the things that we have to remember ourselves is we don't want to hinder anyone from coming to know Christ. Now, I don't have any problem. Like if, if, if you're a parent and you go, I want my child to sit in service in here, I'm okay with that. We offer children's ministry for you. It's kids' church. They teach the Word of God. But if you want to have your kids in here, I'm absolutely okay with that because some, some parents believe they should be in hearing the Word of God. They're sponges. They soak it up. But don't hinder them from Jesus. Encourage them to Christ. Encourage them in their faith. I got a granddaughter. She does not want to hear Machine Gun Kelly or any of that stuff in the car from my son-in-law. My son-in-law is still trying to figure things out. And she tells him, I want Jesus music. Like a sponge. I want Jesus music. She wants to hear the BBS songs that Teresa plays. We started doing that when they were four. And they'll, they'll dance all in the living room. And then they took that from our house. And then they wanted it in the car. And they wanted it in, in the house. You see what I'm saying? They're like sponges. And so now he finds himself not listening to his rap music. He's listening to Jesus music. We need to encourage our kids, man. And, and if you go, well, I only have grandkids, encourage your grandkids. You know, when I read that verse about, you know, when it talked about the generations, I love that verse because this is our first, this is the first generation of petites as our grandkids to come up to know the Lord. This is the first generation. And man, I, I look at, I was listening to Jack Hibbs at the Prophecy Conference yesterday, and Teresa had it on, and I agree with him in, in, in such a way. You know, he talked about the coming to faith late in life and just feel like you wasted so much time. That's me. I wish I had done it a lot earlier. I look at Matt, and I go, man, he's going to have so much time in ministry. Mike, too, if he starts up and gets moving. No pressure, right? A little encouragement. I love him, man. He's, he, he works like crazy. and um, But he's always encouraging. And he puts up with JoJo, which is a, a lot. Because <laughs> I think he wants to wrestle half the time. But, I mean, at the end of the day, we need to encourage our kids and not discourage them and, and hinder them from coming to, to Jesus, right? It's a, it's a simple concept. I mean, we... we 
you know, we, we have to understand that when we, when we look at what Jesus is wanting to do with these kids, is he's wanting to lay hands on them. He want, wants to pray with them. And think about this. This is, these parents have heard about him casting out demons, have heard about him healing people with leprosy, have heard of his teachings, have heard of what he's been doing, and they go, I want to take my child to be blessed by Jesus. That should be us. We should be doing the same thing. If you're hindering your child, stop hindering them. Right? Remember, your children, and, and this is what we'll get into. We'll close it up here. Your children are, are no different than, than us when we first come to know the Lord. You're helpless too. Think about it. Every one of you, Every one of you that is here today, you're not breathing without somebody caring for you. And you go, I've had the worst childhood. I've had the worst father, the worst mother, but you're here. Somebody loved you enough that you're breathing and you're here today. Every one of us require care. Every one of us. To be brought into this world, to be at the point that you're at right now. Grandmother, a mom, a dad. In my, in my brother's cases, we were twins. Every aunt, uncle, everybody helped. Everybody. To give my mom a break. It required a lot of hands. But at the end of the day, we're, we're no different as we come to know Christ. We're helpless too. And it's Jesus that helps pick us up. And you're fumbling and stumbling and trying to figure things out. You're just like a child. And Jesus is saying, look, if I, if I care that much about you to help you in the state that you were in, why aren't you taking care of my children? I bless you with those kids. I bless you with those grandkids. Every child born into this world is absolutely, completely, totally, actually helpless. It requires somebody to take care of them. And we need to remember that. And as your kids are growing up and you think they got everything figured out, they don't. Okay, They think they do, but they still need the guidance. They still need the Word of God. They still need you to pray with them. They still need you to draw them back to... Because look, our, I tell you, I got five kids. It's like riding a wave. Anybody who's done any... Ain't no waves around here. Lord have mercy. Uh, or riding a horse you get same thing riding a horse you get on a horse some horses are real temperamental and they're easy to to be on and sometimes you get on a horse that bucks you right off and sometimes you get your kids on a horse they get spooked and what happens the kid gets bounced off you got to get them back up on the horse again and so every time you get one of them back on the horse another one falls off that's your job as a parent as a grandparent and what do you do every time you draw them back to Jesus. You draw them back to the Word. You draw them back to prayer. With the hopes that somebody's going to do the same thing with you. Because no matter how old you are, 
you're still going to go through the same thing. Right? Sometimes we need to be picked up, get back on our feet again, and, and get moving. So, you know, for us, if, if this study, you know, as you think about it, um, remember that, you know, our kids are, you know, they always say that our kids are our future, but our kids' foundation in Christ is really their future. Because you don't want, the future of this world is not something that they should be aspiring to. It should be a foundation of Jesus Christ. And if they're going to be a nurse, I always tell people, this is the other thing that really irritates me in church. For some reason, we think that because you gave your life to Christ, that your, your future is to be a pastor. Your future is to be a worship leader. Your future is to be children's ministry. No, your future can be in Christ and be a nurse or a doctor. Right? And still be a Christian. Or work for the city. And still be a Christian. Or work in the schools. And still be a Christian. And be that example. We're to be involved in our community. It's not always within the church. You'll reach more, per, more people if, you're, if you work for Medina Electric as a Christian than you would as a pastor. Because you're going to run into more people than I ever will. So, just remember that. I mean, at the end of the day, we, we're called to, to set a foundation for our children. And it should be one built on the Word of God and on Jesus Christ. And if you're not doing that, then start. It's okay. If you go, man... I don't know what they've been watching. Netflix is on and just turn it off. Find something godly for them to watch. Spend time. Get them outside. I would tell you, take them out to go help put out firefights, <laughs> the fires or whatever. But, you know, at the end of the day, there's so many things that they could be doing. Our fire department here in Divine, they're, they're short staff and they, uh, they're short of supplies. They need Gatorade. They need water. They need... Take them, go, go to Walmart and take them. Say, look, we're going to go do something. We're going to do something that Christ would do. We're going to go buy some Gatorade. It's, it's everything with the child is a teaching tool for Christ. Everything. And if you approach that as a father and a mother, oh, your, your children will be so changed. It doesn't necessarily mean you have to do a Bible study every day with them but you spend time with them talking about God and you spend time doing hey we're supposed to love our neighbor let's go and get some Gatorade we're going to take it and drop it off at the firehouse because they've been they've been working seven days a week 15 16 hour days so is the volunteer department out of Natalia trying to put out these huge fires and you take your children and you go do that and you're teaching them to love others and you share you go hey you know what that's in the Bible you just everything's a teaching tool treat it that way thank you so much that was Pastor Michael Petit from Calvary Divine Texas remember if you need to get more information on the church you can do that at calvarydivine.org God bless